Blog Talk Radio. Come get live. It is Buzzworthy Radio, where you can get the latest buzz on all your favorite shows and stars. Buzzworthy starts now. I wasn't kidding when I said my theme music was playing, was I? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to Buzzworthy Radio here on BlogTalkRadio.com and on BuzzworthyRadio.net. I'm Nivelle J. Lee, and as you just heard, we were pretty much conversing while our intro was playing, and I am right now conversing with John Leprino. Many fans remember as Cord Roberts from One Life to Live, and Brad Snyder, the third one, the third Brad Snyder from As Well Friends. And did I forget anything else? <laughs> no, no. There, there are a few little episodic things there that, uh, you know, Maybe not worth mentioning uh, a Swamp Thing and a Sabrina the Teenage Wolf, uh, which <laughs> <laughs> which wolf? It's the same yeah. thing. <laughs> Too much Halloween on my mind. Yes. So how are you, sir? That's the. I'm fine, thank you. Even though this is not the first day we spoke, but you know it's a. Uh... No, no, we spoke last week. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's and... great to have a, uh, uh, an intelligent conversation about daytime. It was a precursor to what we were about to do right now, and I, I, I got to tell you, it, it's I got to say it again because I know um, it bears repeating. You know, One Life to Live right now is one of the best shows on there. I'm happy to be watching it again. I know there's been a time I hadn't watched it, and you playing Cord, being involved in a role that's experienced so much on that show. Let's see, you were. Eight- you were Ace's son, which you didn't know at the time when you were first introduced in '86. Didn't want to be Ace's son when it was found out. You were involved in that wonderful, wonderful thing called Court and Tina. It's four and times over. Four times. Four times. Was it four times? I lost count. Um, I just paid attention to the Andrea Evans era, by the way, of that. Yeah. So. The rest of it after that did not count for me. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm honest. I have to be honest about that. The Andrea Evans, Quarantina era was pretty much the only era I cared about. And let's see, what else happened during that era? Let's see, she went over a waterfall, was presumed dead, came back with a baby that actually was not yours, that was actually, I think, Gabrielle and Max's kid. That's right. Um you also was invo- were involved in that Eterna storyline, which people... Yes, that wonderful underground city. Yes. Um, before I go any further to what Corey has done, what did you think of that storyline? Uh, yes, which I, one, Eterna? Yes. Um, you know, it was it was well out there. I mean, it, it was crazy. But i got to tell you, you know, uh, back in the day, in, in the 80s, when we were doing that, you know, daytime had much more money, so we were doing um, uh, locations all over the world. We went mm-hmm. to Austria, we went to um, Jamaica, we went to uh, Buenos Aires, um, and it, it was a huge experience in my life. You know, someone who was born and raised in the Midwest and, and had traveled very little as a child, uh, and then to, to land a job like that and then travel all over the world, um, you know, it was it was incredible. It's amazing to hear that about that storyline, only because I know that there were some fans out there that they say that that's a storyline for them that they would love to forget. Yeah. Like, what do they, what do they call that? The jump the, the jump the shark episode. 
the Jump the Shark or, episode, I, I heard that they refer to it as Star Star Trek: The Next Generation Gone Wrong. <laughs> that's yeah, one. That's it, one of it them. Was, I heard. It was called a lot of things, um, but you know, it, it was kind of fun. You know, for, for us in daytime, you know, it, it's it's all about you know, you walk into the living room, you walk into the diner, you walk into the the um, the big party scene, um, and and all the locations and all the sets are, are pretty much the same. So when we walked into a huge soundstage and they had this whole, you know, futuristic underground city built, uh, it was great fun for us to walk onto the set and, and to do something of that scale, um, you know, because, uh, again, we're so used to, to being in those four walls uh, in a realistic setting. So to do something, you know, bigger than, than life was, was fun for a time. It really broke up the, the day-to-day routine. Well, that's true. Like you said before, the daytime back then had more of a bigger budget. You were able to do a lot more scenic scenes throughout. And I will agree that that was interesting at the time. At the time, it was done in 89, I think it was. Right. And, uh, you know, again, it was something that daytime really hasn't but done. They were, they, were, they were trying for a lot of different things, you know. Uh, you know so, and, and soaps have, uh, you know, over the last you know, 20 years, uh, they've really tried to do different things. So they've really been trying to think outside the box and, you know, supernatural themes or, or you know, very big um, special guest stars or, or whatever they can do to, to generate interest and, and obviously retain that audience. Because people do go from show to show. Um, mm-hmm. and, and now, with their, you know, it's like spinning plates uh, and, and those plates are starting to fall. So there's only a few plates still split, spinning. Right. Now, you actually got to work with somebody that's right now, like, a, a name in prime time, you know, Marsha Cross. She was on the show Absolutely. for a little bit. And, uh, you know, she's been on after that Melrose Place. She's now on Desperate Housewives, you know, working before she was now this, 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 this name. You know, what was it like working out with her for that time? Because, you know, well, Marcia, I... Well, was wonderful. I, I, I loved working with Marsha. Uh, and, and quite honestly, you know, it was one of the, my high points on the show. Uh, I loved working with Andrea, and, and you know, in fact, Marsha was very uh, closely related to that storyline. And you know, I, I think, yeah, like you and like many fans, you know, that that was kind of uh, the the best times for Cordentina, and uh, and Marsha was certainly a big part of that. The first time I saw that episode was 13 years ago. Um, ABC was doing. Once the city went off the air mm-hmm. in '97, they were doing that date then to remember stuff for that one half hour right. for about 13 weeks, and they had aired the episode when you, your character, and Marcia Cross's character were getting married. Tina walks in with the baby. She hands the baby off, and she faints on the floor. Right. And I just sat there and I watched this. I was like, I certainly was born in the wrong era. <laughs> that was my first reaction to that whole st- that whole scene. I was like, "Yeah, I was born in the wrong time." I mean, that, yeah. that was just that was pure gold, no doubt. No, that was that was a classic episode, and it's been you know put on videotapes and you know and, and back in the day when when they weren't rerunning episodes, you know that was one that was always being requested. So uh, you know, it's interesting that you know now you're buying full DVD sets, uh, and if you started if you started putting seasons of, of daytime on a DVD, it would have to be like a, a 50 DVD set for each <laughs> season because we shot, we shot about 200 episodes, 220 episodes a year. Yeah. 
People might buy it though. You know, there's there's some fans out there that would probably buy it. I'd probably be one of them. But you know, I bet there would be. I I'm not gonna deny that I'd probably be one of them. But uh, there it is. And you left for a short time before coming back, and then you were on there for a little bit longer. Uh, what was your decision to leave the show? Was there you well, just wanted to first, do other things? Uh, I, I took a year hiatus when my middle daughter was born, mm-hmm. and then uh, in '97. Um, uh, you know, it, it had just gotten to the point. I started the show, I think, in '84, '85, and um, and um, they had come to me and they said, "Okay, listen, we got a, we got a good idea. We're going to recast Tina, and you're, you're going to fall in love with her all over again." And I said, "You know, for the fifth time, that's that's." It got redundant after a while. Yeah, well, it really did, you know. And and I was, you know, in my mid thirties, '97. Um, I was 37 years old, and um, I thought, okay. I can do this the rest of my life. I can just retire here. Uh, and, and, you know, I know some actors have chosen to do that, and it's great, and uh, God bless them for, for doing that. Um, but, you know, I felt I had my master's degree when I was 23 years old. Uh, I walked into that job on daytime, and I thought, you know, this is great. Uh, I'm having a great time doing it. And, and I always jokingly tell my class when they ask me, you know, I'm teaching at college now, uh, and, and they'll ask me, you know, why did you leave? And I'll say, well, when you're 20 or 25 and you're rolling around on the floor with a, a beautiful young girl, it's a great job. Uh, when you're 35, it's like, okay, it's still a great job, but, you know, I'm getting a little old for this. And uh, it was just a time for me to say, you know what, I, I need to go out and find out what else the world has has to offer for me. Mm-hmm. Were you afraid of being typecast in a role at the time? Well, and, and I, I think in a lot of respects I, I was, but, you know, it's funny, my students will ask me about, typecasting all the time, and I'll say, you know, it's better to be typecast than not cast, and, um, you know, uh, it was it was a great living for me to be in daytime, and, and, you know, again, I had that brief stint as Brad, and, um, you know, I found my agents out here in California were always looking for that next soap deal, um, mm-hmm. and then when I finally put my foot down, I said, you know what, um, I'm really not looking at daytime anymore, um, then that was kind of the end of my, my acting career, and uh, the beginning of my writing career. Um, I, I did write for One Life to Live for a little while, and uh, I had several screenplays that have been options and have different stars attached to them. Uh, and I've got a few irons in the fire in that, in that concern. But, um, you know, right now it's, it's all about the teaching. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, I'm going to ask, that, you know, like I said at the beginning, you know, Andrea Evans was the only Tina for me. I know there was uh, Karen Witter and Krista Tazaro, and uh, I, I felt that you were the, you only had chemistry with Andrea, although I could see a little bit when Karen was on the show. But yeah, I still well, think it was I, I got to tell you, when, when, when Andrea was there, Andrea was a different Tina completely. Uh, and it always kind of felt like that Lucy, Ricky kind of uh, vibe, uh, because... Uh, Andrea played much more of the comedy, and uh, and Karen and Krista played much more of the sexuality. Um, mm-hmm. So it was it was two different, you know, three different vibes with with the different ladies, um, and uh, ultimately, you know, that that's what helped keep it fresh. In all honesty, you know, I, I may have left a lot sooner had they not recast Tina as much as they did, because that's what kept it fresh for me. <laughs> I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Which one did you prefer? Come on. Um, you know, again, I, I think I have different Tinas in mind when I remember the role, and I remember certain qualities. You know, uh, I remember 
uh, Taryn Witter, we played a lot of the, the divorce emotional stuff, and mm. and I thought that was really uh, poignant when I was working with Taryn Witter. And then uh, Krista, we kind of played the, uh, okay, we're the divorced parents. So uh, I thought that was kind of probably the most realistic uh, Tina. And then, you know, in terms of the, just the, the crazy fun, uh, absolutely, Andrea Evans hands down. Uh, that because uh, whenever she was around, you know, the storylines got really crazy, and and we did a lot of goofy stuff, which was uh, great fun. Now, how did how was the role of Brad Snyder on As World Turns offered to you? Like, I know that you had done. Um, I, I think the show was obviously floundering uh, at that point, and uh, you know, it was right before they replaced a, uh, an executive producer, and um, they had cast one guy, and then another guy was only there for a couple of weeks, I think. Um, yeah, he was and, they, and then they called me. I was out in California, and um, they were asking me if I wanted to come back to New York. Um, and I said, well, you know, it's a role that's been recast three times, so I, I don't even know if you guys know what you want to do with this role. Well, no, no, we have a very clear idea, and we'd like you to do it. So I came out, and I was doing it, and uh, I was literally commuting from California for six months. Um, and uh, it was right about that six-month point that I said to the executive producer, Listen, if this is for real, I'll move my family out here and and, um, and we'll come back. And she said, Yeah, it looks good, and we, we like what you're doing, and we're going to go this way. And then uh, as soon as we sold our house in California, uh, that executive producer was fired. And then uh, the new guy came in and he said, You know, I'm not making any promises to anybody. I need, I need, uh, that's Chris Scotland. Uh, I need to figure out what the show is. And at that point, I just said, You know what? Um, I'm, I'm commuting back and forth. Um, between California and New York, uh, I, I don't feel like I'm doing a good job as as dad, and I'm not doing a good job as as an actor here in New York. I said, so you know what? If you're still figuring out what you're going to do, let's let's call it a day. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that that's why I left. And, and they didn't know what to do with the character anyway, so uh, I think they were happy that I I was ready to, to call it a day. It just seemed like, it, for me, it, it seemed like it was just their way of trying to exit the character off and not really want to go any place further with the role. And that's just yeah. me watching it. And, and you know, that that could have been the case, but, uh, you know, it, it all turned when that executive producer was uh, was replaced. Um, and, and at that point, you know, I, I've been around long enough to know how that goes. Yeah. Usually, an executive producer, when a new executive producer comes in, they um, they clean house and they they bring in their own people. Yeah, that's it. They clean house, not just with those that work behind the scenes, but those that are on the screen, and then they bring in who they want to bring in. Yeah, and they bring in their writers and they bring in their producers, and and you know it's it's all the way down the line, and that makes sense. You know, obviously, you, you find people, and I've been around the business long enough to know that you find people that you work well with. And and you want to go with your A team. You want to give it your best shot. Mhm. That's right. And speaking of writing, how did you garner to starting to write on One Night to Live? Because that that that's that's a feat. Well, I, I had been um, again writing these screenplays, and uh, uh, I was out here in Los Angeles writing various uh, different projects, and. and uh, somebody that I knew at ABC said, "What are you doing these days?" And I said, "Well, I'm I'm writing and um, you know trying to get a couple of films made." And uh, they said, "Well, why didn't you ever start writing for daytime?" And I said, "I don't know. 
I never really thought about it, never really pursued it. Uh, so they hooked me up with the uh, ABC Writer Development Program, and I did that for about a year. And then uh, right after that, you know, they placed me on One Life to Live, which was great fun. And, and it was certainly fun to, to be writing for, for Bob Woods and uh, Eric Slavak and, and all my old buddies. Well, that's true because you you, you kind of know those characters for being opposite of them. You kind of know their makeup a little bit, so you be able oh, to. Oh, ab- absolutely. You know, and, and uh, I, I knew their um, their speaking patterns, and, and I, I also knew intimately how they wanted their characters to be portrayed, and and the story arcs that they felt were were the strongest for their characters, and the qualities that uh, that the actors really related to. Um, so they're, um, you know, the actors really wanted to play certain elements of their character. So, knowing all that, whenever I wrote a scene for them, I would try to hit those points. Mm-hmm. Would you go back and write for the show now, or would you go back and act as Cord now if they asked you? Um, you know, uh, I, I think the acting ship has sailed. And, and in all honesty, you know, you want to talk about how much the world has changed. Uh, I'm an Italian actor, and back in the 80s, I played a Hispanic character. Um, uh, that would never happen nowadays. So, you know, I, I think it would present certain problems, in all honesty, if they brought Cord back and he was an Italian guy playing a Mexican. Um, and But, but you know, back in the day, you know, I think uh, the Italian guy was as, as Mexican as they wanted to get, uh, you know, in terms of political correctness. Uh, and certainly all that has changed now in, in a big way. Well, there's a lot of people online on Twitter and that on on Facebook and message boards. You know, we we all we I even mentioned this to you uh, last week when we when we talked about uh, you know seeing a lot of the veterans now on one life to live. They're they're right now on the front burner. They're now getting stored. They're now having this, and lots of people mention that most over forty don't get that kind of mm-hmm. storyline on a show. Do you feel that way? Oh yeah. Well, because, you know, one, in all honesty, they're expensive. Uh, two, um, you know, if you're trying to build an audience of, of, of 20-year-olds, you know, or, or even teenagers, um, why are they – they don't want to watch somebody who's 40. Um, and I can understand that. I, I talk to my students. I talk to my kids. Um, and whenever the, the subject of daytime comes up, you know, they, they talk about how it's not relevant. It's not – um, it's not edgy. It's not um, talking about anything that, that they relate to. Um, you know, certainly when they start talking about the older characters. Well, that brings up a point too, because I know that people of my age bracket they love to see veterans on the show. Do you, and you know, I kind of feel that most soaps executives or whoever's in charge of those shows, you know, they don't really listen to what the fans want to see on their show. They just want to show who they want to show. Well, and, and I think ultimately that's probably why some of the shows have disappeared because, you know, they, they keep saying they know better. Um, and, and it was always interesting to me, you know, I, and i got to tell you, one of the reasons I, I really like writing for daytime, um, you know, I did promotional appearances all over the country. So, mm-hmm. you know, when I started writing for the show, not only did I have 15 years of experience as an actor, but I had 15 years of experience of, of going out and shaking hands with fans and talking to them and hearing about what they liked and what they didn't like. So, you know, I, I always felt that, you know, that kind of gave me an edge as a writer, uh, having that knowledge. Uh, I, I knew what stories people were relating to. I, I could tell that, you know, 
they didn't buy Eterna the way we were buying it in New York because, you know, we, we were happy to do something different and, and do something with big production values. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, the audience didn't want to see that. They, they liked much more the emotional storytelling, which was mm-hmm. the heart of the genre. So, you know, I, I always heard what the fans were saying, and I would bring some of that back to New York, and they'd be like, oh, no, 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 that's, that's not it. And, and, and in all honesty, you know, uh, one of my frustrations when I was writing on the show, um, it was all about uh, the nasty stuff that people were doing to each other. Uh, and the ways that they could get over on one another, and the ways that they could trick somebody or, or manipulate somebody, uh, and, and you know, again, I, I, I firmly believe that one of Cord's the biggest reason that Cord succeeded was because he was kind of this naive, wide-eyed uh, hero, and uh, he was always just trying to do the right thing and try to be be nice to people and be good to people, and that's you know that was the fun that Tina was always trying to manipulate him and. and uh, and figure a, a way to um, get over on people, and, and he was always trying to, you know, set her straight and get her to, to walk the straight and narrow, um, and that's kind of what the heart of that story was. Um, but you know, I, I think in some respects, daytime has become a, a little, almost cliche. It's a, almost become a parody of itself, um, and and I think that's a shame because I think you know that's that's not the daytime that I came to know and love. Do you think that's why it's now considered a dying breed? Do you consider yourself a dying breed? Again, this is part of our conversation with me on Saturday. So. Yeah, I, well, you know, uh, you know, when my students say it's not relevant, um, you know, you, you can't succeed in, in any marketplace um, without a new audience, without new consumers. And, um, you know, again, bringing the 40-year-olds and the 50-year-olds back, uh, may be great for for the mothers and the grandmothers of, of your, you and your friends, um, but unless you know they're really finding something that that keeps you guys watching, um, you know, then then where is it going to go? Where's the next audience going to come from? Right. And and bottom line is it is a business and it is a numbers game, uh, and you got to have people watching. Um, and again, I think the fact that there are fewer shows has helped the shows that have survived because people who, who like the genre and, and like the five hours of, of new content a week um, will gravitate towards those shows. And especially, you know, another thing we were talking about is how you're starting to see other actors from other shows pop up on the shows that are surviving. Um, and, and that fan-based loyalty will keep those shows running for another couple of years. Right. We got, like I mentioned, we have, as we'll turn to God, actors heading to One Life to Live because that's the only New York show now. Yeah. And they're now popping up over there. And like you said, we got we got some of their fan bases heading to that show watching that. I, I actually saw the ratings last week, and I saw that One Life to Live is doing very well, and it's actually ahead of General Hospital which stuns me beyond belief. Because well, but, they, but what other shows are airing against One Life to Live? That's true. So there there's nothing else any. to watch in that hour, so where else where, where else are they going to go? And then you turn on the channel and you see somebody, oh, that's the guy who was just on my show on Channel 2, now it's on Channel 7. Yes. So, you know, uh, again, there is a finite audience, I think, for daytime. It is shrinking, but, but the market is shrinking. The, the shows are, are disappearing. So, 
uh, as the audience is shrinking. Now there's fewer shows to watch, yes, um, but the audience now is, is more saturated. I actually got into a good debate with somebody. Um, his name's Jim Romanovich. He's president of ATI, Associated Television. And we actually were talking about the daytime genre as a whole. Uh, you know, we only have six shows that are on the air now. And, you know, one of the days allowed to celebrate 45 years today. They got picked up for two years. And he, he said to me that he thinks soaps will never go away. We may lose the ones that we have on the air now, but soaps will always be a part of television. Do you think that's true? Well, I, I do. And, and at, at its core, if you look at something like 24, as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned, that's a soap. It's just the soap told with an action um, genre. It's it's that long form narrative of uh, understanding these characters over a long period of time, and um, you know, uh, all, all soap, soap opera is is it's long form uh, narrative, character development and relationships, and you know I, I think you can make a case that a lot of the primetime shows, the primetime dramas that develop these audiences. And again, uh, I, I think with the uh, advent of, um, you know, these DVD box sets, you can sit down and watch eight seasons of, of The Office. You know, my wife and I are watching that now. Uh, and, and she's very much into the young couple, um, uh, Jim and, um, oh, my God, Pam, uh, on the show. And, and she's watching it like she watches, would watch a soap. Are they going to get together? Are they going to have the baby? Ooh, mm-hmm. somebody's new coming in this season, a new love interest for Pam. So <laughs> it, it, it's very much like like a soap opera. So, you know, the audience knows those narratives, and, and the industry is providing those stories. Uh, it's just not in that same five-day-a-week format. Five days a week, 37 minutes, you know. Well, right, because we know where to find it now. You know, we, we can go to the internet. We can we can watch these shows on the internet. We can buy the DVD set. You know, and there are some shows that I don't even watch because I say, you know what, I, I'm going to miss an episode in the middle of the year, uh, and then I'll come back and, and get the DVD set, and I can just watch right. them straight through, watch them like a soap opera. And then, of course, you have web soaps that are, like, making a huge splash right now. Mm-hmm. You know, we have, like, Venice. Uh, we have... Uh, the Bay that's going on right now. The, a steamboat. The series is starting up again. We have like all these websites that are coming into the fold. So there's still there's still some form of a soap somewhere. If it's not on yeah. TV during the day between well, twelve thirty and four. When I was in California, I was trying to pitch a web soap uh, to ABC and SoapNet before um, broadband really hit big. Before really, I didn't know that. Before anybody was putting, uh, it was called Student Affairs. And Krista Tezro was part of it, and um, Brian Fitzpatrick, and some of my friends from from daytime uh, threw in on it. And um, you know, I remember having my uh, PDA at the time. Uh, it was a little HP PDA, and I brought in video and I showed it to the people at SoapNet, and they said, "Oh, no one's ever going to watch anything on a screen that small." And uh, I said, "Well, I really think you're missing the boat." And uh, that, obviously, that project never never came to fruition. Uh, but then, you know, look at how many people are watching video on, on cell phones now. Oh, man. 
Again, I get that option on my phone. I don't have That was characteristic, though, of, of yeah, disconnect. Because, you know, people in daytime knew that five-day-a-week format better than anybody. And, and you know, if you talk to anybody else in, in prime time or in film, and you talk about generating, you know, as a writer, generating 80 pages a day uh, to um, or 80 pages a week, you know, five writers uh, writing those shows, um, they would look at you like you were crazy, like nobody could, could maintain that. And, and um, the people in daytime know how to do that. Uh, and it was a very specific, very specialized um, way of, of doing television. Um, and it, unless you were in it, you know, it was like jumping on a moving train. Would you do that web series now with all the web series that are coming out now? Would you? Well, you know, again, now I don't think that it would. It would I, be necessary. I, 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 you know, personally, I think if if a couple of veteran soap people from these other shows got together and did a show, uh, you know, bottom line is, and this is what I tell my students all the time, you know, a good story, well told, will find an audience. Uh-huh. And if you've got a couple of, of um, recognizable faces, even better. And if you've got a fan base that, that, that you can bring along with you. But it, it's all about the quality of what's being told. I mean, you know, uh, the the cream will rise to the top. And, uh, you know, i I got to tell you that the best thing about the Internet is the good stuff will find an audience or the stupid stuff will find an audience or the crazy stuff or the funny stuff. It will find an audience. Um, And and the beauty is there's so many millions of eyes out there. Uh, You can get a, a, a web video that goes viral and you've got more eyes on it than anybody watching network television. And that's why all the networks are going to the web or going to Twitter. You know, what is that show that um, um, William Shatner's doing? Uh, I don't oh, know, uh, say, the my dad does. Yeah. That's right. So, you know, that's right off a Twitter account. Right. Well, they, they, they saw how many people were following that, and it was all about that built-in audience. That's crazy. I mean, <laughs> But, it, but but it's the truth. But everybody though. in the networks now. Everybody, every network is watching these viral videos. But Justin Bieber, you know, he, he's somebody that they found on the internet. Uh, and and you're going to find more and more of these web series being picked up or uh, repurposed on on television. And and now the quality of video is so high on on uh, streaming video that you know there is no difference. Yeah. It's going to have an audience somewhere and. Like I said, there's well, the beauty is look look what you're doing with the, with this radio show, with this uh, internet okay. show. You know, you've essentially started your own network, and anybody in America can do that. You've got a video camera, you've got a video camera that's ten times more sophisticated than the cameras we used to shoot on the eighties. Uh, you can <laughs> d- edit it digitally on your computer, yeah, and then and then automatically upload it to YouTube. You've got a web series. You're in television production. And I tell my students this all the time. That's, Anybody that's can where, do it. That's where the stars are going to be made. That's true, though. Anybody can do it. it it's like it's it's no effort at all. It just it's just right there at your fingertips. You just don't know it, and then just yes. operate well, and, it, and, and it. Some people do, you know. And I think these are the careers. Now, now that being said, there's going to be a ton of stuff out there that. Um, is is going to be no good and nobody's going to watch. But on the other hand, you know, I, I do think the good shows, the good 
what I tell my students is you got to be consistent, you got to be consistently good, and you got to keep delivering product. Um, and as long as you don't, you know, just put two shows up there and, and then think, oh, I didn't find an audience and give up. You know, you got to keep at it. Uh, what, what did you say? How long have you been doing your show? Three years. Three years. Three years. And 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 you built an audience by continuing to do it. And never giving up. That's right. And and there are people who did it after six months and said, you know what, it's not it's not as big as I wanted it to be, and they've given up. So you know, it's all about consistency. It's all about being there at the same place uh, so people can find you. Uh, with video on demand, they can watch you or listen to you at three o'clock in the morning. They can listen to you at one o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, and again, with people working these crazy hours these days, um, who knows when they're watching TV? It also helps too if you love. Besides all of that, if you love also what you do, you know, fans and listeners will be able to hear that. And well, that's passion. You know, if you've got the passion, you put the passion into the story that you're telling. And and that passion is contagious. I love it. You know, I mean, again, as I said before, I never thought I was going to be here for three years. I never thought I was going to be here past two months, you know, but I just, I stayed with it, and here I am, but that's, you know, that's three years later. That's the beauty of it. You know, i, I got to tell you, the best story I've I've heard in entertainment in the last decade is Tyler Perry uh, and, and the way he, he specifically started writing these plays and, and, and talking to a very specific audience. And then when Hollywood came knocking and said, listen, we want to do one of your plays as, as a movie, uh, and we want you to not be a part of it, we'll just buy the material and do it. He said, no, I'm mm-hmm. going to do it my way or I'm not going to do it at all. And he told Hollywood that, that he was going to do it himself. And now he's, he's one of the biggest players in the world in entertainment. Oh, so, you know, and, and that's purely on him knowing his audience, having a passion, telling a story, uh, a good story, well told, and and he developed, you know, a, a huge career, a huge business. How many people is he employing? You want to talk about putting Americans back to work? <laughs> Tyler he, Perry is that success story. And he's still doing it. You know, he's got all Absolutely. those movies. He's got how many shows now? Three television That's shows, right. I think. And, you know, he's just amazing. And, you know, he's... Did, but he had his you? passion, and, and he, he knew his audience. He wrote for his audience. And he spoke to his audience. Did you? And, and they listened. Did you watch? I actually watched this. Um, I forgot about this show. But since you were talking about Tyler, did you watch that Oprah show that he was on? No, I, I've seen clips. Uh, I've seen clips on the internet, but I didn't. I wasn't watching the show. No, that's what I had to do. I had to go online actually and watch it because mm-hmm. you know everybody was talking about it. Everybody was like, "This his backstory," and I was like, "Yeah, I I completely." Felt well, and that's, for just, him, you know, that's, that's just a testament to him as a person. You know, look at that that personal tragedy, the personal life that he, the the things that he had to overcome to get to where he is, and and again, you know, the, the passion that came from the pain, uh, and, and he spoke to an audience from that place, that very personal place, and and how can an audience not be riveted to that? I think that just shows, like, the audience, too, when they look at that and they have something that they want to do, but they, or, like, they, they're looking at it and they, there could be that one person that's at, looking at the situation and going, this was my life. Mm-hmm. And look what, and look exactly what he was able to do 
Well, you, you can take those things, you can take the tragedy in your life, and you can use it as a reason for not getting out of bed in the morning. Uh, or you can use it as a reason to say, you know what, uh, because of this I, I need to do better. Uh, and, and he certainly did. He certainly used that as, as a, an inspiration uh, in his life to, to prove that he, he wasn't somebody who, who could be marginalized. He's he's one of the few success stories I I admire. I, I mean I I never knew that about him until I watched that show and I looked mm-hmm. at it and I thought that was absolutely phenomenal. But I got to tell you, some some of his original plays, if you've yeah. ever looked at his material, his original plays they were funny, they were crazy, they were silly, but they also dealt with some real issues, and right. and and that's the passion, that's the uh, the good story well told. Um, you know, he, he he was as could be as crazy as he wanted to be, but there were times when he just broke your heart, telling those real life stories of people, those real life tragedies, that that obviously, you know, uh, in America today, everyone's got uh, a story, everyone's got a tragedy in their past, uh, because we're, we're people and we're all flawed and we all have had to deal with adversity, and he tapped into that. And he knew he, it because because he came from it. He really did. And I know that there were like a few close personal friends of mine that, and you know, we we all like his stuff. We all love his stuff. And I know there's been. Well, how can you not? It's got everything. How can you? It's got it's got humor. It's got um, sophistication. It's got, got drama. Emotional got... integrity. But they said but there was one person that said that he was very stereotypical with what he was doing, and I never really saw that. But then, you know, I never saw how he was stereotyping. I really didn't. But then we watched the Oprah show when he came on there and said what he said about his past and what happened to him as a young boy. Mm-hmm. We saw that and we went, now we, now we really get it. We now understand yeah. the meaning behind it. And, and, you know, it just takes that whole thing into a whole other level because we're now able to understand and comprehend where were these stories coming from. Yes. And, and, and you know, one, one person's tragedy is another person's, you know, narrative, another person's, um, you know, uplifting story that, that helps make a difference in their life. Because, you know, you hear a story like that and, and it touches you because whether you've had an experience similar to that or not, it's a story of survival under, you know, enormous pressure. Yeah. It's amazing to me what people can do with with anything that they have within their minds of coming from not any not just tragedies but, like, a great life experience to them and they're able to turn it into a bigger life experience. You know, for for everybody, and you know, it's just it's amazing because you you can follow in those footsteps, and you're able to see exactly what what's coming from them. You know, what what yeah. they're able to showcase to well, everybody. And, and you know, getting getting back to our, our daytime conversation, I remember one time uh, when Cord was a a young father on the show, and and you know, it's no secret that they would write stories that would kind of mirror uh, the actors' lives. Uh, I was a young father. Uh, when, when I started on One Life to Live, I had a three-month-old daughter. So uh, I wasn't surprised when they made Corda a young father as well. And, um, you know, I, I said, I remember saying to one of the producers at one point, um, you know, 
I'm a young father, and Tina's a young mother, and everyone keeps talking about how great Tina is as a mother, but you never see her with the kid. You never see her interacting with the kid. You never see her being attentive to the kid. She's always off running her own things and looking for money and looking for adventures, but she's not spending any time with the kids, and yet you've got everybody talking about what a great mother she is. And I said, you know, you're sending a message that a great mother doesn't spend any time with her kids. Mm-hmm. And and the response to me was, listen, this is entertainment. It's not education. Uh, we're in the entertainment business. And And I said, but you're doing both. You may be entertaining people, but you're also educating them because some people, the television is the only uh, education and teacher they're going to get. So I said, you know, I, I really think you're doing a disservice to our audience. Uh, and they and they kind of told me, yeah, that that's that's great. Um, go put your costume on an act. Um, but it, but it was, it was that kind of stuff that made me want to leave daytime. That was that that like brought up a good point to the question that I had in my head is like how much influence do you have in story and you pretty much said there really is none. You know, yeah, you, you can say certain things. You, you you can you know suggest certain things, uh, but again, depending on if your story's front burner or not, and uh, how much uh, the audience likes you and what your Q score is, uh, they certainly listen to some actors more than other actors. Mm-hmm. Yes, I I know that full well. <laughs> I'll tell you, it's amazing to me about that, too. I mean, there's, like, some people that get away with it without any hesitation, and then there's others that get reprimanded for it and to a point where they're not even shown for a while on the show because of it. Well, and again, it's it's like everything else. If the audience is watching that person and the audience wants to see that person, uh, then they call whatever the shots they want. They call storyline, they call financial uh, enumeration, they call everything. And like you said uh, as well, you know, no matter how much soaps are not that realistic in a majority of the time, that, <laughs> you know, there's plenty of storylines on there that you just go like, oh, yeah, that would never happen. Yeah. Sometimes it's escape, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you look at some of the crazy comedy series that are on TV, it's escape. Uh, and, and, you know, I can get out of my life and get out of my own head for a while, and I can go to Landview and see what's happening there. Uh, so, you know, some of it is, is escapist in, in uh, a very realistic, poignant way, and some of it is escapist in a, in a very silly, surreal way. And, um, you know, I, I think it just depends on the individual in terms of, you know, and I, I think that's why some of the stories and the soaps, you know, some soaps were known for being sci-fi. Some soaps were known for being, like, really off the wall. Some soaps were known for being much more realistic. And and audience would tend to gravitate to the show that uh, that had the elements that they wanted to see or the, the escape that they wanted to, to have. And no matter how much of that escapism that you do have, you know, there's still that particular storyline that portrays to real-life situations. You know, there's been storylines that, you know, there's been a character on the show that has AIDS. Or or, or like you said, with your storyline with with Cord, you know, you were a young father in real life. Cord was a young father on the show. Yeah. And, you know, that... But, but that was always the problem. You know, you try to do a real story. I mean, I think they were doing the, the, the Todd Marty rape story 
at the same time they were doing Eterna or something like that. I mean, those were not the same time. But, you know, there, you would go from a rape story to an underground world story in the same show. And the audience would be like, well, wait a minute. Am I taking this serious? Is this a serious thing? Am I taking it seriously? Or is this a, a kind of a goofy parody? Um, and, and I think that's when they really got into trouble because that's when the, the identity of the show gets so muddied that the audience is like, well, wait a minute. Am, am, I, in real, am I in reality here or I, am I underground? And they didn't right. know whether they were coming or going. Right, that's where pretty much all the animosity came from is because they had that Eternal storyline and then all of a sudden you get something gritty such as Tom yeah. and Marty on the show. Well, and, and, and then I think, I think it does a disservice then, you know. And, 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 and believe me, daytime has done some wonderful things. And, and back in the day, when, when daytime, you know, in the, in the radio days, all the way through the 70s and even into the 80s, you know, there were times when daytime was so poignant that it was addressing things like AIDS or, or, or uh, breast cancer or um, other issues that um, television and film hadn't gotten around to yet. Mm-hmm. So it was really edgy, and, and it really you know became that, that immediate feedback and, and statement on culture. Well, political correctness came in, and now daytime became so safe that it just had to be the story, you know, and, and then even now you'll see things with, um, uh, I don't know what 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 the big controversial stories are in daytime because I haven't watched it in a while. But um, um, same sex relationships have been exactly. in the past couple of years. And so, so that's 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 the the drum that they're beating now. But I'm, I'm, I got to tell you, um, I, don't, I don't think that's that edgy anymore because America is there already. Yeah. They need to be five years ahead of what where America is. I know that they had when Ryan Phillippe was on the show um, back in the early nineties, I think ninety one, ninety two. You know, he he was a gay character on the show, mm-hmm. and, and and during that time, and I know that was a huge that was a huge deal. Absolutely, it was a huge deal, and we have the huge deal now. Well, and originally, I, I think originally they wanted the story to be. One of um, I, I, it was either Kevin or Joey. She, the writers wanted Kevin or Joey to have AIDS and die, and um, the network came in and said, "No, no, no, that's too close to our core character. Let's bring in another character for that." And you know, I, again, I think they missed the boat. Uh, I think they should have gone completely edgy and had it hit Vicky's life and have you know Vicky then the, the matriarch of the show uh, is a woman who. Um, lost her son to AIDS. Wouldn't that have been interesting to see play out on the screen? I mean, that would have been great dynamic storytelling if they had and, one and, and of I her sons. And again, I think I think political correctness made them uh, give up on that. And, and, and that's I think what it would I don't understand, though. That's the other uh, thing, but, too. But, you know, again, even 20 years before that, I think they would have done something like that, uh, where a main character would have had to, to feel that and understand that. Uh, and... Um, you know, I, I think they um, they really you know, and part of it was you know, well, we need we need another generation of Buchanans, so we can't kill them off now. Um, but you know, there, there are are other ways of making that happen. Um, so I, I really think they missed an opportunity to to really say something at a time um, when uh, America needed to hear that message. Let me give you an example. 
this did happen. I want your opinion on it. Now, this mm-hmm. did this did happen on One Night to Live. It was the first show to have it done, apparently, from what I understand. And uh, I, as from what I'm aware, it is the first show to do this. Now, they did have uh, two gay characters on the show last year. And they, the show was the very first one to actually do a same-sex romance scene on the show. Mm-hmm. No other show has done that. And, I mean, as well terms, that a, a same-sex kiss scene, but they didn't go full throttle with them actually right. making making love with each other. And, you know, mm-hmm. that was that was groundbreaking for, for that to happen since One Life was the first to do this. And in your opinion, do you think that they should be doing that on more soaps more? Uh, because that is pertaining to real-life events. There mm-hmm. are people that do that. Um, you know, again... Uh, <laughs> My, my network uh, mentality it kicks in, and I say, well, what were the numbers? You know, if it got big ratings, it'll happen again. If it didn't get big ratings or it, it cost them ratings, it won't happen again. So, uh, you know, well, in, in the characters are gone now. Let's let's fast forward. The characters are gone now. They got rid of it because they said they got complaints uh, yeah. because of it. Well, so so you know, right there, that, that will tell you. But I I, I got to tell you another thing. By bringing back the forty-year-olds and the fifty-year-olds. Um, they're going for that older audience who's not going to accept that kind of thing on the air. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So basically, it's a no-win situation. If they had situation. a younger demographic, if if 20 and 30 year olds were watching, or even 20 year olds and teenagers, yeah, you think anyone from that generation would have? Uh, I'm sorry, I don't know how old you are, but uh, my daughter's 25. I'm I don't 25, think she would. Yeah. My my daughter would would see something like that and say, oh. Okay, that's just two people who were romantically yeah. involved, and whether yeah. or not she was connected to their relationship uh, w- would have gauged whether or not that that romantic scene would have been effective for her. Right. I mean, that's so, very much how I, was, I was like the same way. I was like, oh wow, okay, you know, this happened. Yeah. But there it is. And uh, you know, I'm 25 myself, and I pretty much felt the same way as she did. And you know, as we all know, they pretty much cater to the 18 to 49 demographics on networks a lot. And oh, but I got to tell you, the demographic for daytime is much higher. Is it? That's yeah. all I heard was 18 to 49. That's it. Well, th- those are the only numbers they care about. Right. Because because 18 to 49 spend any money. But it's a lot higher than that. Yeah. How high are we talking? <laughs> well, I mean, my mother-in-law who just turned 80. She she still tapes literally on videotape uh, the soaps every day. Hey, I don't knock it. I mean, right. I have the DVR, but I don't knock the videotapes either. There he yeah. is. If you so, can do it, do it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, again, that, that's that's her her escape, and she enjoys that. She she grew up with that genre, so you know when when they bring back the forty and fifty year olds. I'm sure she loves that. I wouldn't. I would. I, well, hey, One Life is the best for that right now. I mean, I honestly don't see any other show utilizing veteran talent more than One Life to live. I mean, I'm. I, I mean, I'm pretty much watching all this shows on the internet. That's pretty much the only show that does that. Right. You know, and you know, I, I there there has been a time where it wasn't that way. You know, all soaps have been through that issue. They've all been through that era where they 
utilize their younger talent more so than the veteran actors do. But if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I know that's a cliche, but it's the truth. No, it's it's the truth. And and, and again, in uh, in network television, it's all about the numbers. That just irks me, though. I mean, I know that's I know that's true. It is true that it's all about the numbers, but it just irks me because it's like. You know, it's, I, I I like to think of it as more than just numbers. You know, it's about the great storytelling. It's about all. Well, but, but you know, know like I, you said, I, it's a business. Again, in in, in big business, business America, though, it's about making money and how much they can charge for ad revenue. And uh, you know, again, uh, it seemed like you were telling me with the two guys making love. Um, you know, uh, if there was truly an audience for that, uh, a big number audience, you you know, you'd be seeing it. And then the people who were uh, into that kind of storytelling would watch that show if that show w- was identified as as um, the show that that embraces those values. Yeah, it's come a long and, way. And, and I give uh, I think Frank Valentini still producer. I think. Yeah. Uh, I give him yes. I give him a lot of credit for doing it. I push the edge and and you know um, whether it worked or, or not, you know he, he's still trying to to push the edge. He did a great he did a great job with it, uh, and uh, you know I, I, whoever they were that was not accepting that's fine they're entitled to their opinion but he did something that no other show did do, that's and I, I I give him a huge amount of credit for that. You know what, one thing that I wish that they would do, um, man, I wish I wish somebody would tackle the whole veteran issue, and start telling the story about some of these guys coming home and, and really delving into that. Uh, I, because I think it's, that's going to be a huge social impact on our society, and uh, and daytime is where we need to see it. What was the issue again? I kind of missed it. What was the, the veteran vet, veterans affairs? Ah, okay. Guys coming back, coming back from uh, Afghanistan and um, uh, Iraq. You know, they and, they and, they did that on a couple of shows, but they just did not do it the right way. You know, it just it was just. Well, it's, from it's, my, one of those things, my it's one of those things that you've got to give the weight to. You you really got to give it. Um, if you're going to do it, you got to tell the story, and, and you got to make the characters well fleshed out, and, and you got to see it from everybody's perspective. No, that's exactly um, what they didn't do. It just it was just that of a plot device, or just yeah. the way to bring or, these or, characters oh, look, in. We're, we're saluting the vets. Look what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to wave the flag for a little bit, and, and if they did that, you know, again, I think an audience. Um, I don't know if you remember that old Stephen King novel or, or the movie uh, Misery. You oh know, my gosh! I, yes, yes. You know, a, an audience can smell uh, a, a stink bomb. They can they can smell it if somebody's just putting a bandaid over something and not really dealing with an issue. Um, and if it's not done well, they'll, they'll hold your feet to the fire. They just, I know that they don't invest in a lot in those kind of social relevant storylines. It just seems like they want to just use it as a plot point just to get to another plot point. And and you know, that's that's what I don't I don't like. I know that there was a soap that I was watching uh that had a character get cancer. Mm-hmm. And all it was was in my opinion and that's pretty much what it was. It's not just my opinion anymore. But it pretty much was just a storyline just to bring two characters back together. Why why is that? Why why are we just having this character just well, get but, but you know, I think also that speaks 
that does a disservice to the audience who does have cancer. And I got news for you, a lot of soaps are shown in a lot of hospitals. And, you know, if they did that and somebody didn't die, um, you know, then, then the audience is thinking, well, wait a minute, I got cancer and I'm not getting better. I'm not horseback riding on the beach. That's true. That's exactly right. It's like I have cancer and I still have make I don't have makeup on like they do. Yep. I pretty much am not as active as they are. And I I can't keep my lunch done. That and I that I was gonna say and that I'm not gonna be on rem, in remission in a matter of three months time. Right. So, you know, you you gotta be careful when you tell those stories. If you open if you open Pandora's box, you you never know what's going to come out of it. So, um, and it's funny. I tell my students all the time they'll bring in some some material, and sometimes it'll be a little racy sexually, or, or um, it'll have a lot of profanity in it. And I'll say, listen, or they'll talk about drug abuse or whatever. And I'll say, you know, you can bring that material into class, but we have to do it justice. We're going to talk about you know the type of people that that. Uh, live in these worlds, and, and we're really going to have to delve into that world. And it may not be pretty, uh, but that's if that's what you want to bring in, then we're going to have to deal with it. Um, and you know, there are certain stories that you, you absolutely have to give them their weight. Absolutely, absolutely. I can't believe we've been here on an hour, on an hour phone call. Actually, I can. Yeah, that was a great conversation. It was it was enlightening conversation. Well, enlightening. and, and I got to tell you, I, you know, when you talk about the shrinking audience, uh, I, I it, it sounds like you're a huge fan of daytime. You're you're an incredibly intelligent and articulate and and well spoken person, and I think the biggest thing that daytime has done is a disservice to their audience. Uh, I don't think they they are aware of how smart their audience is, and they they. Uh, have tried to fool them for too many years with surface level stories that uh that don't play out and that's that's my two cents about daytime that's a good point as you know we we make comments about this all the time the audience the audience knows more about the characters and the show more so than they do mm-hmm. when I watch it well and and, and and that goes back to me traveling the country and and, and meeting the audience and, and shaking their hands. You know, um, if the attitude was once, oh, uh, in the 50s, there are these housewives who stay at home and it's just to entertain entertain these, these women who don't go out into the workplace and they're just staying home with their kids. So we can keep the stories at a certain level just to entertain that audience. And as I was traveling the country in the 80s, shaking hands, you know, I met people who were professional people, who were doctors and lawyers and, and, and people in the hospitals and, and people who were sick, uh, professional people who were homesick and, and bedridden, but they were watching the, the soaps because it was there and because it was an ongoing escape that they could, a place they could go to be safe and have fun. And, um, you know, I said, you, you can't talk down to the audience, and, and they seem to do that an awful lot. They really do, and, and it amazes me too when I'm around fans as well. When they're talking to their favorite actors or actresses uh, at fan events and whatnot, I'm standing around and I'm listening to them, and and they know more about what this character would do, more so than what 
not just the actor, but the writer would do for them. They're like, I know they would yeah. do, they would go about this way and doing it this way. Well, and, and, and going back to that comment about Cord being a young parent, you know, yeah. that's what I was seeing from the audience when I would go out and meet them. Why don't you ever spend time with your kids? Yeah. We keep hearing about what a great parent you are. But your kid was not in the scene anywhere. You weren't interacting right. with the child in the well, scene. Or how come we don't see you, you know, reading your kid a story at night or or, or um, helping them with their homework or cooking them dinner? Right. You know, the everyday stuff that, that parents do with their kids. And, um, you know, the audience was sharp enough to, to understand, you know, don't tell me you're a good parent if you never spend time with your kids. If you're yeah. having the maid, make them every meal. Amazing, I tell you, I tell you. So you know, I, I felt then that the audience was smarter, and, and uh, it, it, certainly in '80, and, and certainly with that producer that I talked to, they didn't want to hear it. <laughs> oh man, I tell you, you know, I, I I have to admit right now, you were probably one of the most enlightening guests I've ever had in three years on this show. Oh, uh, because it's uh, just thank you, but. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I have I, to be I, honest. I mean, I, I mean, I never really had, you know, somebody that was just this enlightening enough to basically keep the conversation flowing as well as it has about daytime in general and everything else in between. I mean, this is pretty much yeah, that, probably that, one of my That's the college professor in me. I'm used to doing these long lectures, so. Hey, I don't mind it at all. If you want to come back and lecture again, I, I, I would love it. Anytime. Anytime. It was a great conversation. Hey, and i got to tell you, you know, uh, uh, some people ask me if I left daytime because I, I stopped liking it or, or uh, stopped loving it. And i got to tell you, I've always loved daytime. I've had a, it's been a huge part of my life, a huge part of my career as an actor and as a writer. And, um, you know, it, it's because I love it so much that, you know, I, I really ache for it sometimes when they right. can't get out of their own way. And, um, you know, so it, it's very nice to have a intelligent conversation about, um, you know, a, a medium that I have grown to love. Exactly it. We love it so much. We may anchor it, but that's only because we love it so much. Yep. That's all there is to it. Thank you so much, man. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Anytime. Absolutely, sir. Take care. Okay. Take care, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. John Leprino, everybody. Um, thank you so much for tuning into the show tonight. Um <laughs> a little tidbit for you, a little trivia thing for you. Uh, I actually don't have a tie right now. <laughs> now, I'm still able to do this show. How about that, folks? But uh, we are going to be back on tomorrow morning at about 9.40 a.m. Eastern. We will be joined by Sam Jager, who plays on Parenthood as Joel Graham uh, tomorrow. And then on Wednesday, we will be talking to Florencia Lozano here on the show uh, we will actually be taking uh, questions from the audience. I will be asking her while I talk to her on Wednesday. We'll be airing the show on Thursday. So if you want your questions asked to Florentia, get them into me by Wednesday morning. That way I'll be able to ask them to her Wednesday afternoon. All right? So we'll be back tomorrow morning at 9.30 a.m. Eastern with our show with San Diego here on Buzz Radio. Take care. I'll see you tomorrow.